Welcome. Welcome all. Welcome. Let's just take a minute or two and collect ourselves. Okay, good. Thank you. Yes. Thank you all. All right. So let's just, we went through a kind of busy day yesterday. At least it seemed that way to me. I, I threw a lot of concepts at you, which for me are not conceptual, but when you're first learning those things, you've got to interpret it from the concept into the experience itself. And sometimes that takes time to do. So I've given you plenty of work already for the foreseeable future. Well, today I'm just going to pile on more. <laughs> and, uh, but I would like to spend a little time just reviewing uh, where, we've, where we've come from and adding a little different twist to some of that and uh, also then move into a talk for this morning. <clears throat> so yesterday... Uh, we, I spoke about the authentic spiritual direction. The, what, what is the, I mean, what, what is, what is, a, what are we doing all this for? Now, some of us, which is completely okay, focuses in on themselves and how meditation can alter and change and create an expansive and more wholesome, more decent sense of self and dharma does that it makes us more decent it makes us more ethical it, it allows us to be more inclusive all of those when only seen from the perspective of self is fine but is that the direction the ultimate direction that dharma takes so that's that's the question that we need to confront if we find ourselves totally self-focused within our dharma life now some self-focus is very important because there's a lot of us that has been left behind by history. We have parts of ourselves all over the 
planet really where we feel diminished and we feel um, self unworthy and we feel self doubting and we've left peace we've shaved pieces off of us that would re- that are required for this substantial centeredness that moving out of ourself is required moving out of ourself doesn't mean we forget who we are it means we the focus is no longer on moderating ourselves and adapting ourselves and molding ourselves into what we think uh, we would like ourselves to look like and what society would appreciate. So believe it or not, Dharma takes care of that without our focus. It just makes us decent. Without self-focus, it makes us decent because it was the sense of self and me that where all the indecency came, where all the self um, conceit comes, where the self uh, self focus is uh, is really uh, the basis of our problem. <clears throat> um, so it's not that when we look and adapt and change, something isn't happening, but we need to keep the focus the um, need to keep in perspective the long term so that even if we're working on ourselves we're doing it to thin ourselves not to add a new dimension of ourselves it's in the self-thinning it's in the less dense sense of self the self that feels life with more impact is more sensitive. Now you're self-thinning, you see, because you're away from your own self-control and your own self-dominance. Once we change the focus where we let life in, rather than keep it at abeyance and go through life so insulated and isolated that we barely know that nature is out there, and I'm not suggesting any of you are that extreme, but there is that extreme in life, but rather to begin to, this is about selflessness. If selflessness isn't currently in your practice, let it be conceptually known to you as at some point being your practice. So then we begin to release the tensioned self-centeredness which is formed out of tension, is formed out of guardedness, is formed out of self-defensiveness, we start letting that go and looking at what's down there that's hidden that we're afraid or ashamed of, let's bring it to light. We're making the unconscious conscious. Let's bring it to light and look at it and see it and see if that in itself, that seeing itself doesn't have an impact upon it, doesn't ameliorate it doesn't change it into something that's decent when we start including life within our perceptions we become decent (laughs) we make good neighbors (laughs) but don't ask my neighbors (laughs) no i'm just you see so it takes care of itself But what I want to, the authentic spiritual direction, once we have 
conceded to the point that it's not about us is towards the irreducible essence of being. And yesterday, we hinted at that through the awareness or existence meditation, the guided meditation that had us notice that we exist. Existence. Existence or awareness is that fundamental essence. So when we're aware of it in ourselves, although we're much more aware of the forms that awareness takes as myself, we miss that existence that lies in there. Okay, fair enough. But let's not be fooled. And the different facets that the irreducible essence holds, facets like stillness, simplicity, complete simplicity, completeness. It's complete. It's complete. It's wordless and therefore mysterious. The word placed on top of mystery makes the world look like it is now. Put that word in abeyance and it becomes mysterious. There's also an unchanging quality to formless awareness and a timeless quality. It doesn't hold those. It doesn't move. So how, how could it be of time when it, it itself is unchanging? Okay, so in order to move in that direction, we have to feel ready for that direction. If, if the practice that you have been doing continues to hold a certain um, allegiance to you and, and you to it, then you're probably getting something out of it that's worthwhile. Please stay within that frame of reference for as long as it works for you. When it stops working for you, don't blame yourself that there's something wrong that it's no longer working because every form that we ever use spiritually at some point won't work for us. And then our job is to move into the formless. Every method we use at some point becomes mechanical. Why? Because the nature of objects the nature of life as we know it to be, let me put it that way, takes its refuge in the mechanics. Repetition, that's what conditioning does. It demands repetition. The assurance that what I'm doing will have a payoff somewhere. <clears throat> that is in the completely opposite direction of the authentic direction, the authentic spiritual pointing. It's not mechanical. It's, it's not even conditioned. It's unconditioned. That's why it's mysterious. It doesn't hold objects, repetitive objects, the certainty of repetitive object, objects. So we have to feel ready. For, I have to feel ready and interested and interest often implies that readiness. 
and it should feel a kind of intuitive correctness to us. Yeah, this is, this makes sense to me. I feel it when he's talking or me or whoever is speaking in this direction is talking. There's some resonance of truth in that. We are moving into what is fundamentally here and leaving our conceptual world. That's what this involves. And we have overlaid that conceptual world onto the essence. It's not that the essence is gone. It just is painted a different color. <laughs> it's shrouded from view. Okay, so that's true. You know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to pretend that it's not, it's not, this is true. This is absolute truth. But we have to be ready for the truth. Look at the world. It's not ready. Many people out there are not ready for even the most conventional truths. We look towards something that will keep us denied, denying. So I don't, I never have wanted that in my life. I hope you don't either. You know, it's just, just bring it, to, just show it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out a way to hold it. You just show it to me. That's your job. Just show it to me. Tell me what I really look like. Give me the feedback or whatever form of truth I'm seeking. And we looked at the, yesterday, we looked at the four requisites that allow us to move within the formless. And those are a curiosity and interest, you know, that interest says everything really. And there's going to be times when it's fearful, but I can also be interested in what fear is. You see, you can always step back into interest, no matter what the obscuration is in the moment. If you're in the middle of reactivity, well, what's going on here in me? That's an inquiry. What's going on? And then when you say that, you stop because you want to know what's going on. And when you stop, you see it from a very different perspective than when you're in the midst of it. And it comes from the interest in the willingness to stop. There were many times and have been many times when I've lost the connection, the fundamental connection of formless awareness and some mood or something I say, okay, if this is true, if the mood is true, then forget the formless awareness. I'm going to live by the mood. But first, I've got to see if it's true. So I'm going to stop. And as soon as I do that, not conceptually, but in reality stop, there's formless awareness. So which is more true? The babbling of concepts, the continuation of a, of a mood, or a logic or a narrative, or that which appears when I have stopped in relationship to that. So that sense of stability, of being able to ask the question, is comes from wisdom. The willingness to stop instead of moving on, that's wisdom's stability. That is the ground of what this practice needs. Or you just go on with your mind, thinking the mind, if the mind has that kind of control over you, where's your stability? Well, I find it in the body. Well, the body is a projection of mind. 
You can't take refuge in the mind in any of its established elements. So that's another thing we spoke about yesterday and then about intentionality because deep inside of us, we do have a spiritual intention. Are we living in alignment with that spiritual intention or are we making it safe and easy, which is not the wise direction? We should be challenged in our spiritual intention. It should challenge us to move into areas. If you just stayed in areas where you already knew, how mysterious is that? <laughs> we have to be willing to move beyond those areas into areas of uncertainty, into because the whole thing's a mystery. It's to see things free of concepts. Well, you've got to go where you haven't been because we've been living within the conceptual world. See, so that's, and then attention, where we, we're going to spend some time looking at what we, we can always pay attention to conventional reality. That's in front of us. We know it very well. We slide into it out of habit, or we can pay attention to formless awareness, to this, you could, even now as I'm speaking, as I brought that word up, there it is. Now, can I, do I want to pay attention to that? Because attention is needed. There we go, you see? So yesterday we also talked about time. I'm just reviewing. And then I get into something new. So this, I don't know how long this will take. But anyway, bear with me here. So we looked at time as a commodity, as, you know, we think of it as wasting time. I, that, okay. Let us all agree that saving and wasting time makes no sense as if you could hold on to it, package it, and use it in a different, at a different time period. Oh, where was that moment that I wasted? Let me unpackage it. Now I'll do whatever I wanted to do back then. That the truth is now, and now is not a frame of time. <clears throat> I showed it through this diagram here, and I'm hoping that you just make a copy of it for yourself. Just take a, do an x-axis and a y-axis and a zero point where the two axi meet and you've got it right there. <clears throat> because the zero point is between the, the time and the timeless. <clears throat> and if I stay on just the lateral movement of time, past, present, future, then I stay within the conditioned reference of myself and the world as I know it to be. As soon as I stop in now, <clears throat> doesn't mean because now is the meeting of those two vertical right here where the two lines meet, the spiritual and the secular meet in the zero point. It doesn't mean that the world vanishes from what I've known it to be. The zero point is also on the lateral axis. And so I can still see the world, but it's, it's limitless. It's, now that's, this, you just have to experience, you just have to take my word for it. <clears throat> it's also encompassed within the limitless, the limited and the limitless. 
That's the zero point. That's where that's where this pra- practice goes. It doesn't go so that you can't see the world because you don't have any concepts anymore and everything's homogenized. It all looks like vanilla ice cream and I don't know what to do and where I walk into trees and I try to get out the window instead of the door. Not true. Oh, there we go. Thank you for putting that up. Okay, so see the second, this second day gains in the momentum of the first day. It goes deeper. It goes, it's richer. And I appreciate all of you who have come back for the second day. Now, today I'm going to show you different angles towards this irreducible nature, how to access it through time itself and through perceptions and how it changes the way we see and who it is that sees. So I want to start with something that's very important here. Think of the irreducible nature as pure awareness, pure existence. I think that word may work better than irreducible nature. (laughs) Just think of it as pure awareness. Awareness without objects. Pure awareness. Like a child who's just born and they're, they're, they're just like this. You know, it's like, whoa. They don't know where they are and they're just kind of floating in it. The pure existence of it. They don't have, they haven't developed the brain capacity to know objects. So there's no self sense of self within that because now this is a crucial point pure awareness itself doesn't know itself it has no reference in which it can be known that child who's just being born into the world in his opening moments doesn't have a conceptual frame of reference to even know that it exists for awareness to have a self-concept that it's that it's here for the child to have a self-concept that it's here, there must be an object. So this is so important because now we're seeing that the sense of self is dependent upon what it knows about the world, the object, an object, a single object will bring itself. For now I know what this thing is. There's a self that knows it. It holds the knowledge of it. That sense of knowledge and the object arise together. Get this because this is so. See, we I've talked a lot about how the self arises in time. It needs time. See, the object holds time, as we mentioned, talked about it yesterday. How does the object hold time? Because I only know the object because of my memory, and so my memory is the time element of the object. Knowing it is the memory of it, and the memory of it holds time. If I had no relationship with an object, I wouldn't know what it was. The object reflects back to awareness. So awareness can know itself. But the object is also formless awareness. It's not that the object, because I've coded it with time, is no longer what its essence is. It's always its essence, which is formless awareness. It's time that makes it something. And the mind then follows that and makes it solid to our sense of touch, to our eyes, 
But what is the sense of touch? See, I go, okay, the sense of touch, how do I know anything is solid? It feels solid, which means that the little neurons in here electrically go all the way up my arm, my spine, up into the brain and say, this sense, the, what I'm feeling now in this object is indicates that it's solid. I have a, a process in there to know solid from liquid. So it's also dependent upon time. It's also dependent upon memory. And we just say, well, this, that's solid and that's liquid, that's air, that's this. You see, none of it holds any truth when you back away from time. It all f flows back in to limitless, pure awareness. But as human beings, the child has to learn a self-concept has to learn about himself so that he can operate in the world without bumping into walls. And so it's, I'm not saying it's not an important growth experience to learn the world at all. It's necessary. But it becomes our only way of, of seeing the world. Now that's excessive. So we're bringing back at the maturity, when we mature sufficient, we're bringing back the pure awareness, but including our self-concept that I know I'm here within that pure awareness. Now, as we become purified within that awareness, the sense of self becomes diminished, but you still know, you still, there's a, there's the knowledge is still there and you're now seeing yourself in a different light. And so the sense of you, who you have believed yourself to be, becomes thinned and eventually invisible. But there's still the knowledge of how to bring it out again if you need it when there's something functional to do in front of you. You don't lose anything. You can still remember your address and your phone number. I'm not suggesting that we dive into pure awareness and go back to where we were when we were first born. That's not the point of all this it, we need the seeds of time in order to be able to distinguish an object different from awareness but we also need the interest to see that object, objects intrinsically are awareness you see or else you're going to have multiple things you're going to have objects everywhere and awareness that kind of holds them but that's so du du duplicitous it's so multi faceted that it assures that we are going to be separate from life it assures our distance it assures ensures our separation. So now listen. Me, the holder of time, and the objects projected in time are one and the same thing. So time, the sense of self, and the objects of the world all are arising codependently. Isn't that interesting? 
I find that so interesting. And you know what? It's true. <laughs> it's true. It can be realized truth, not just a conceptual, oh, that makes sense. Well, yeah, okay, I'll buy that one. All right, now I know it like I know everything else. That doesn't help you to know it like you know the world of objects because then that your knowledge becomes another object that you know. So now we're going to explore time and time and timeless from a different orientation. Now, all every talk I've tried to just shift away from the normal way we speak about things to make it like wondrous for you. Like what is he, God, I've got to figure this out. That sort of wonder has an itch to it. And that curiosity itch will only be satisfied when you realize what is saying, not just know what is saying. Knowledge does not scratch the itch of curiosity. So now we're going to explore from a different orientation, from perception itself. So the title of this talk, within, within every perception lies both the worldly life we live and the spiritual life we yearn. So I listen to that topic and say, okay, why can't I see these two different worlds? Why can't I see him? If that's what, okay, I'm not going to just take his word for it. Why can't I see? I'm looking. I'm experiencing life. I only see the worldly life. Why? Because that's what we want to see. <laughs> the other lies buried under that want, under that desire, said the Buddha. Under that fear, under that trepidation within every perception lies the worldly life we live and the spiritual life we yearn and what we're trying to do within perception I don't have to go anywhere I'm always perceiving something I can start looking to how to uncover that world of our spiritual yearning because let us be clear here. Neurologists tell us that the neurological pathway of recognition is the same neurological pathway as perception. So what does that say? When that neuron fires, which it does all the time because we're always perceiving, we don't know whether what we're seeing is pure perception or whether it's per recognition. That's the separation between the world we yearn for and the worldly life we live. That's the difference. If you go with the recognition, the recognition holds the memory of what the world has been to us. <clears throat> and that's where we go because we want to recognize and be <clears throat> embodied and we want to have our place and control. And we want our uh, autonomy <clears throat> and we want our sense of 
self. So why would I want to go to perception? Perception holds awareness itself, pure awareness itself. Why would I want to go there? The seeing itself is pure perception. The seeing itself is formless awareness. The seeing itself holds no concept. The recognition holds the concept. Now, when they're seen together, the seeing is there. The pure spiritual formless emptiness, it's there. It's just who wants it? I'm not looking at that. I'm using seeing to see, to see the objects, to see the minds overlay upon the world of perception. I, that's what I want. And so that's where I'm going. So why can't I see these two different worlds? Because we're looking at the present at now. We're looking at now through the past. And perception and recognition are blurred. Perception is the way things are. Recognition is the overlay of the past upon the present. So pure perception is formless reality, just seeing. Recognition is what the mind does to that pure seeing. And because we want things known, that's our, our desire in order to live. I want things known. The mind thinks things into place. And thought makes reality into things that are time-bound through recognition. Recognition, by definition, is that we've experienced it before or we, it fits into our worldview. Because when we have one object, listen carefully to this, when we have one object that we know the world of objects light up, everything lights up. If you have a leaf, you have a tree, you have the ground, you have the... Uh, sky above it, you have clouds, you have rain that feeds the tree, you have houses that are made out of wood, the whole world lights up. From one word. And we wonder why we don't go to perception, because we keep placing a, all it takes is one word. We keep placing a word upon something. And the whole it's the serial lighting of a Christmas tree. All the lights are, they're all on. And then we get angry because it's not working in cooperation with the way we wanted it. Because that me as an object, I think separately, I think myself separate from the objects and I want the objects to obey my law of desire, pleasure seeking and whatever else we're f focusing upon in that moment. And it doesn't. We don't have that kind of control. Why? Because <laughs> this is so circular. It's like dizzy. It makes you dizzy. Just <laughs> because we are of the object. The sense of object and the sense of self arises together. 
to do something to one is to do something to me. If I saw it for what it really was, I would disappear along with it. I don't want to go in that direction. But we would then be seeing things the way they are. And we started with what many people think of as the spiritual, correct spiritual journey, but they have no idea what they're saying, most people. We want to see things as they are, which means I just want the world of recognition to clear itself so that I get what I want without all its obstruction. That I'd be seeing things the way they are if I, if everything would just straighten itself out. <laughs> but since the sense of self itself is seen from a misguided, distorted way, the sense of self through which recognition comes out never sees things the way they are. It's ridiculous to use that phrase in relationship to what the self is seeing. So when we open our eyes, it's all there, you see. It's all there. It's all coming immediately. It's all there. The present, as we define it, is a period of time in which full recognition is there. In the now, there's no recognition because it's formless awareness. It holds all recognition. It holds all time. It holds all objects. But since it no longer invests its time into those objects, that which formless awareness begins to draw our attention away from the worldly confusion and conflict of objects and subject and wanting it to be this way and refusing it that way. And I mean, it's just when you have objects, you have rub, you have conflict, you have misery. I mean, that's what this... So you seek solace at some point. You want it so deeply in your heart, you don't know how to get there, but you'll go anywhere. I'll even go out of myself. I'll even look at myself in all its hideous formation that nobody wants to see, including myself. I still, I have to go there. I have to dig this thing. I have to show that everything that's in me that I hate to see is transparent when it's perceived. Now, isn't that amazing? See, we're, we are in denial. This is, I mentioned a word yesterday. This is ignorance. Ignore it. Ignore ants. I choose to ignore it. What you ignore is your ignorance. And what you're ignorant of binds you to it because you don't have any awareness of it. You don't know what it is. Once we put the past upon the present, the now is lost. 
the now of no time. Well, it's amazing. It's so, I mean, as I speak it, I relive it. I relive that recognition. And it's like, oh, God. It almost brings me to tears how we treat ourselves. Because we still believe in ourselves. But let us remember that the essence of existence is right here within this perception. It's the seeing, not the seen. We choose mind over spirit in every perception. We choose mind over heart within every perception. I have no interest in the seeing, only the objects that are seeing, which means the mind overlay. I'm, I, have, I don't have any objects in the unabridged, endless, formless, freeing, timeless awareness. I want to be time-bound within the objects. That's what we're choosing. The objects, because of the source of my pleasure. And that's all the way I only know, I, which is itself an experience. The tasting, the seeing, the hearing. That's the purity. Not what we're tasting, not what we're hearing, not what we're seeing, but the ability itself to see. So I ask you, what is seeing out of your eyes? Not what are you seeing, but what is seeing? What is S-E-E-I-N-G? Not what is S-E-E-N? Let me again reassure you that these two seemingly different worlds are really one and the same world. Oh. When you hear that, how come you not? And you know what? You do this. I did this by myself. I did I had many teachers who have I've incorporated in my in my understanding like Nisargadatta Maharaj and Ajahn Buddha Das some some of those that have already been made Krishnamurti all of them. but they only give you a path forward they say well look this way and you go okay well I never looked that way before now I've got to look that way and when you look that way it all becomes your own the words become your own, the channels, the way you're looking, you're seeing the insights. They're not like you can read in a book because they're often individuated from your own character. <clears throat> okay, that's enough. 